Um, I started, uh, I actually first started off with Antler Kings in 2012, and then I felt, you know, Antler Kings just kind of limited to antlers and shed honey, and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of over this, so I wanted to transform it a little to where I could just show kind of everything that I do and, you know, just give people more information about stuff, you know, about worldwide hunting type stuff, and just kind of add more of what I actually do instead of just antlers limitating myself, so I changed, changed the name up a little, and then just started a YouTube channel about a year ago. No, November is when I really started the change to It's a Way of Life. Awesome. awesome. Not long ago, but... That, that's cool. That's that's really neat. Um, from what I understand, you and your dad hunt together quite a bit. Is that right? Yeah, he hunts with me quite a bit. He kind of... Uh, he's not a fan of Asia and Europe, and that's kind of like my style now because I like sheep hunt a lot. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't... He's, he's not really liking that stuff, so I've kind of... Uh, he kind of stays home, and I kind of go... One of my buddies, Mark Peterson, uh, he owns part of Worldwide Trophy Adventures yeah. and Cabela's Tags and whatnot. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, well, that's awesome. That That's fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to picking your brain and talking to you about some different stuff, okay? Oh, yeah. Well, have at it. <laughs> All right, sounds good. So we'll take a five-second, uh, five to, sec- to seven-second break, and then I'll just go right into it, and we'll just have fun. It'll be about 45 minutes or so, okay? All right, no problem. Sounds good to me. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we're going to have a fun episode with 21-year-old Mackenzie Sims of Evanston, Wyoming. Mackenzie, how you doing? Pretty good, Jay. How about yourself? Good. I'm anxious to have you on the podcast, and um, I noticed you have a It's a Way of Life Productions YouTube channel and website, and uh, you're, you're a young guy at 21 years old that's probably hunted more than people of you know 10 or 20 lifetimes uh, i follow your adventures on instagram as well and um i mean you have literally hunted all over the world tell me how that all that started um yeah i've been pretty blessed and fortunate you know being so young but uh i think i was probably let me see i, was, I think i was seven and we were at a log home show up in towards jackson wyoming and there was actually a group of outfitters from south africa there and you know, me and my dad had hunted around here. My dad used to take off work for uh, two months out of the year, just quit his job and go live in the mountains on horses and hunting. So we were just used to that type of stuff. But I seen these guys, and I was talking to them, and they were at a log home show for some reason just because they got, you know, time between other shows, and we were there and filling up space. And so I was asking them, well, how old do you got to be? And they're like, oh, as long as your parents can uh, come with you and, you you know, you know how to shoot a gun, you can come. I was like, wow, that's a bonus. You have to be 12 in Wyoming. <laughs> so I went and talked to my dad. and We talked over it a little bit. And he's like, well, if you can make enough money for it, we'll go on a trip, you know, if I can make enough money for the plane ride. So uh, I did 4-H for a few years, and I sold a pig or two every year and uh, did some lemonade stands in the summer. But uh, the last year I did 4-H, no, the second last year I did 4-H, I sold a pig for uh, $2,300 to a lady that we do business with. And uh, I ran up to her and hugged her and, Ran to my dad and said, let's book the trip. It's time to go. <laughs> That's awesome. So where did you go first right off the bat? What did you hunt there? Uh, we went to South Africa, and we originally planned on just doing, you know, like a small, just a, you know, small planes game safari. Uh, we got there, and none of our luggage was there. Our rifles weren't there. Um, but luckily, the PH had a rifle in camp that he let me uh, shoot, and I was going to borrow. And 
by the time our luggage and rifles got there, I think I had about seven species stacked up already. So <laughs> it kind of turned into it turned into a little bit more of an adventure than what it was planned to be. But it it was really fun. Uh, we went over there with some friends. Uh, took a girl that I graduated with over with us because her dad worked for us at the time, and you know, just a, a family vacation type deal. And it really uh it really started the fire. It was 2007 when we went there, and ever since then it was. So I wanted more. I wanted to go back. That's incredible. Um, and what would you say, Mackenzie, is like your favorite type of hunting? And and a different part of that question is, what's your favorite type of hunting now? And maybe what was it before, and how has it kind of morphed over the years into where you're at now? Um, I'd say the start. I was real big into Africa, and I liked going over there. Went there in 2007, then back in 2009 to Namibia for planes game again um but over the years it's kind of changed uh i started getting into sheep and ibex hunting you know capra and ova species pretty heavily uh i went on my first sheep hunt in 2011 to antelope island in utah where i caught, got my california bighorn and uh after that it, it kind of took off 2012 i shot my desert bighorn on ted turner's place in new mexico and then uh last year i went and did my doll sheep and then I've done a few international hunts uh, for Marco Polo sheep, Bezero ibex, and then last month I just got back from Pakistan where I hunted Sindh ibex, Blanford Uriel, and Punjab Uriel. So uh, the international like sheep species are pretty much uh, game on for me now. I really enjoy it, and you know I'm in better shape than I will be in 30 years probably, so I might as well work on some of that while I can. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you feel like sometimes, you know, com living in Wyoming and having, you know, uh, elk hunting, mule deer hunting, turkey hunting, what have you, pronghorn hunting right out your back door, do you feel like when you go on these adventure trips, so to speak, and go on these destination trips, you know, does it make you not like those other animals or is it just a totally different experience and you still appreciate the animals around around your house? Uh, it almost, it makes me feel like more appreciative, uh, just, just, you know, because you're over there in those countries and some of those countries aren't really the, the vacation, you know, place to go like Pakistan and Turkey and whatnot. But, uh, it almost is like, man, I want to get back and hunt milk in September type of deal. Or I like chasing, you know, velvet mule deer with my bow or just kind of, it almost makes you just appreciate it more and kind of want it more and, uh, realize that, you know, I can go buy an elk and deer tag over the counter every year and still hunt some of the best units in the state with it. And it really makes me appreciate it, you know, because a lot of states you can't go and buy over the tag counters, or if you do, they're not really, you know, you can't hunt the best units. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, I, I missed you at uh, SCI. We were trying to hook up, and um, we just ended up uh, missing each other. Um, but that that's an amazing uh, convention there. And um, do you end up booking and meeting a lot of the people that you hunt with? Do you meet a lot of them at SCI, you know, as far as outfitters and, and such? Uh, you know, do yeah. you look at that as a place to go where you're going to actually book hunts and, and, you know, network and what have you? Yeah, SCI is a, a wonderful place. I've been going there since, and I've been a life member since 2008, I believe. Yeah, 2008 is when I became a life member. And uh, I enjoy SCI a bunch. It's fun. You get to go there and get to see some incredible mounts, talk to a lot of people. And uh, it's just kind of a place where you can meet and greet and uh, 
really get to meet each other, learn what each other's about, look at brochures, pamphlets. And then, yeah, I go to I go to book there pretty much just because talking over the phone to someone in Africa or Asia is a little bit different than when you can sit down and have a face-to-face conversation with them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's like anything when you actually get to, you know, sit down, look them in the eye and, and, and ask questions and what have you. It gives gives you a, a you know, a much bigger sense of comfort and you kind of get a, a feel for how that person operates and how that person is. So, um, yeah, I was, I was sorry that I missed you there. Um, you know, I'm looking through your Instagram as, as we're sitting here talking and uh, it looks like uh, you went to Tanzania, uh, for your African big five in 2010 and, and, um, you're here with, uh, a male lion. What was that like to, um, to get your lion? Uh, that was, that was pretty fun. I believe it was day 17. Uh, and all the big five took me 48 days of hunting to get it done in one trip. <laughs> I started in South Africa and then went to Tanzania and then ended up having to go back to South Africa because the elephant hunting wasn't that great in Tanzania. And uh, we ended up getting a permit for a really great place in South Africa where it borders Kruger. But uh, the lion hunt was pretty fun. Uh, we were baiting them. So we would sit in the shans, which were in the tree. It was like a big tree stand platform. Um, we, uh, we baited, I don't know, six or seven spots, had several lions coming in, but they have to be mature lions in Tanzania and, because you get a fine if you don't, you know, if you kill one that's a lot younger. Yeah, Mackenzie, um, to to follow up with that, like you said, you were setting baits. Were you helping the PHs set baits? And and how is it? Um, you know, I've heard stories of other people setting baits. I mean, what kind of baits are you setting? How often are you setting them? And and what was it like to you know be there for two weeks hunting uh, specifically for that? Uh, it was it was pretty fun. It was uh, it was kind of uh, not like a it was like more mental physically. You know, what I mean, like you had to prepare for it. And it was we'd sit in the blind and nothing would ever come in. And one night we sat in the blind and called the you know it got dark and you can't shoot in the dark. You can't use light. Um, and so we called the trackers back in to pick us up. And the PH had got out of the machine to the truck, and the the truck was actually facing the bait tree. So the headlights were on the bait tree. Well, here comes two male lions, 20 yards with the truck in there and everything, and they weren't scared of nothing. It was pitch black, but you could just see them standing in the headlights. So we stayed in the tree a little bit longer because um, getting down and getting into the truck was kind of sketchy just because of the fact that there was two male lions there, and one would walk away, and you wouldn't know where he went, and then he'd come back. So we, we actually had to back the truck up right against the tree and kind of bail out of the, the machine to get in the back of the truck. It was it was pretty nerve wracking, but it was really fun. I enjoyed it, and uh, I actually ended up shooting my lion like in the middle of the day. We were just checking baits, and uh, in the middle of the road there was a lion track, so we got out, and we were about a mile from our bait that we were gonna go check. So uh, we just walked in, and he was laying about 30 yards from the bait, and I just put it right in his neck and shot, and that was all she wrote. But it was. It was pretty hard work, like just, you know, the physical, mentally part of it because you didn't know if you were going to get a line because of how long we'd sat in the blinds and how much bait we were putting up. That's pretty fun, though. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I would think it, it gets to be a, a, a deal where 
it's almost Groundhog Day where, you know, you're doing the same thing over and over and over with, with, with little results. And then, boom, all of a sudden it happens. It had to be just a extremely exhilarating, almost like what just happened type of situation when you got them. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty emotional, actually, because I didn't think I was going to actually get my line because we were on a 21-day safari in Tanzania, and on day 17, you're, if you're 17 days into it and there's only five days left, it's pretty, uh, pretty close to the end almost. I mean, the, the fat lady hasn't sang yet, but it's getting close, so I was getting pretty nervous, and uh, once it happened, it was, uh, it was a pretty rewarding deal. And uh, in Tanzania, they have a, a celebration when you harvest a cat. When I shot my leopard and when I shot my lion, we did it, and they call it a kabubi. And they dress you up in, like, toilet paper and leaves and branches, and they sing to you, and you dance, and they carry you around in a chair. It's pretty a uh, pretty wild deal, but it adds to the emotion to it for sure. Yeah, I'm looking here on your Instagram. I see a picture with you with your leopard, and they've got you. You're sitting in the chair with your tracker, and they've got you all decorated up. And you've got a big old smile on your face. Just looks like you're having an absolute ball. Oh, yeah, it was fun. I didn't know what to expect at first, but then I was like, you know what? Get into it. It's only going to happen once. You know, you're only you're only 14 years old when you shoot your you know, leopard. So let's do it. Let's have fun. Party. You know, it's just, you know, everyone enjoyed it, and the trackers, they, you know, they they really felt grateful that you were there to, you know, hunt a leopard and a lion, and they wanted to support you and have fun with you, you know. What was the difference, say, hunting leopard as opposed to hunting lion um, as far as either tactics or, you know, m- mentally what you had to deal with? Or, you know, was it very similar or are they very different? Uh, it was actually pretty similar. We almost shot a lion the exact same morning from the exact same blind that I shot my leopard. Uh, about 10 minutes after we shot my leopard, uh, two males were calling, I mean, like a mile from the bait. So we just sat back in the blind, just hung out for an- another hour. Uh, but they never came in. We figured they were coming in, though. Male but, lions? Uh, we had cell uh, cameras. McKenzie, yeah. male lions. So you've, you've heard them really roaring and stuff. What is that? I've never heard that in person. What does it sound like? Um... It's pretty wild. It, I'm going to look up on my computer and I'll play it for you here in a second. But it gets pretty wild. Uh, the crazy thing is at night when you're in a tent in Africa and that you hear that, you know it's you're in real <laughs> wild Africa. You keep your 375 or your 416 locked and loaded next to you. So it's uh, you're not just there to hang out when that stuff happens. For sure. And I mean... Lions are not really afraid of, of of much, correct? I mean, they they are at the top of the food chain, uh, and the, you know that they're, they're not really, in in essence, leery of much, correct? No, not really. And especially at night, like when we had the truck there, they didn't they didn't care. There was four trackers, the PH, me, my dad, and my cameraman, and they didn't care. Like they just stood there thirty yards at the bay and they that was their spot they weren't gonna leave so it was uh you know they're wild and if you get in their way it's probably not gonna end up good for you did you notice one animal over the other um talking about a leopard or a lion uh being more hardy as far as you know having to shoot them right or um what is your experience or or from learning over there um you know does either one of them you know take a lot more to 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 knock them down um I'm curious your thoughts on that. Um, cats, 
those cats over there, they're pretty, you know, they're soft skin. So if you put it a well-placed shot, it's not going to, you know, it's nothing like a Cape Buffalo or an elephant. It's obviously, it's, if you do it the right way, they're going to go down pretty quick. Uh, my leopard, he, I shot him. He didn't fall out of the tree, but he jumped. And when he landed, we heard, you know, they make this, like, kind of like a barking sound. like, and when they're running, and that's a pretty scary sound because you know that it's pissed off. And it was coming right towards the blind, but then it stopped, like, about 10 yards out of the tree. So he just, he dove out and did two puffs, and then he, he was dead. I mean, uh, I wouldn't say they're, they're very hardy. Uh, I mean, if you gave a bad shot, you'd probably have a pretty, you know, deadly hardy cat on your hands. But yeah. other than that, other than that, if you, as long as you shoot them right, you're, you're pretty solid. Now I see on your Instagram, um, he, you're here with a, with a, uh, elephant. Was that the same trip or was that a different, um, trip? Uh, that was the same trip. I shot my, my total big five in 48 days of, uh, con- continuous hunting. Wow. Um, yeah, that, that was tough. Like, and, and Mackenzie, for the listeners out there that don't know what the big five is, can you tell us? Uh, the big five is a leopard, lion, Cape Buffalo, elephant. And then some argue that the black rhino is the only classic, is like the only thing that counts as a big five. But now they have a modern and a classic big five. And the classic big five is everything with the black rhino. And the modern, the white rhino is included instead of the black rhino, just because of, you know, it being a little bit harder to, to obtain a permit to hunt a black rhino and such, you know. Tell me about the elephant. That was pretty fun. We hunted 21 days for elephants in Tanzania. Uh, we tracked in on, I think, around 50 bulls. And in Tanzania, they have to be 50 pounds or more, or there has to be three feet sticking out of the lip, like three feet of ivory. And we never found a bull that would meet legal criteria. So uh, I think it was day 20 we got on the phone. Uh, one of our buddies in South Africa trying to see if he knew of any place. We almost went to Botswana, but we couldn't get a 100% closure on a permit there. And then uh, my dad shot his uh, lion in Cape Buffalo in the Timbavati, and that borders uh, Kruger National Park, and there's no fences in between, so they consider it all free range. And uh, the people that he shot his uh, uh, lion with, they told us there's a permit still available, for an elephant, and uh, we went over there with one of our good buddies, Marius Katza, and uh, hunted in the Timbavati. But the thing is, over there, they had elephants that were collared that were, like, pushing 100-pound tusks, and we couldn't hunt those ones. And the first elephant we saw was probably between 100 and 110 pounds. <laughs> wow. And you're talking about the ivory. Um, and, and so what gun did you use to shoot your elephant? Uh, I shot my entire big five with a 375 Jarrett H and H. Okay, and what, what what kind of shot placement on an elephant? I mean, I've I I can't even imagine. I'm looking at this picture of you with this elephant. And <laughs> you're you're what 14 at the time? Yeah, I was 14. Wow, shot placement on an elephant is where where do you aim? Um, you can shoot him behind the shoulder. Uh. Most of the time, they're going to run a couple hundred yards before they fall. So a lot of people either do the frontal brain shot or the side-on brain shot, which is you put it in the ear hole. And I was uh, I was given a, a side-on brain shot, and I shot my elephant right in the ear, and he dropped. 
the video is actually on YouTube somewhere from when I had my TV show, but uh, he got started to get back up, and my gun jammed, and so the pH was like, oh, this could go bad, so he ended up shooting it one more time, but it was, I mean, it never got all the way up. It just stood on its front legs, and, uh, but no, shot placement is crucial on an elephant. You know, you either want to do the frontal brain shot or the, the side-on brain shot for sure. I see you also here with a hippo. That thing. Was, yeah, I shot a. Tell me about that. Those things are aren't they the most dangerous of all? Yeah, they they kill. They're said to kill the most people in Africa a year. How was that hunt? That was pretty fun. I actually ended up doing a side on brain shot on that one as well. Uh, we were hunting in South Africa in a place, uh, Rhino Land Safaris, uh, with Marius Katza and. Uh, he had this bull, uh, bull hippo, and uh, we wanted to shoot it, but he wanted me to shoot it on land and not in the water. And so it took us like five days to get this thing to where we found him on land because he's always in the in the pools and stuff, and all his cows would be on land, but he'd still be in the water. And then the fifth day or so, it was, it was the wrong day for him to be out of the water. And uh, I made a 75-yard shot, and he dropped right there. But when you walk up on those things, they're, they're like a mini tank. Yeah, the picture is unbelievable. So, um, when you're 75 yards from a hippo, I mean, in in a real quick second, things can go bad very, very quickly, can't they? Oh yeah, they could. Uh, luckily, there was a body of water between us and a steep bank. So, I mean, nothing. I mean, they could have something could have happened, but more than likely, it wasn't going to. Going to. Uh, but anything in Africa either bites you, runs you over, or stabs you. <laughs> so it's. I mean, it's, they got. Thorns everywhere, snakes, and I hate snakes. Tell me about the snakes over yeah. there. You know, in that in that much time that you spent, you had to see some gnarly snakes. What what are your snake stories? Uh, we've seen two black mambas and a cobra. Two cobras, actually. Uh, the first cobra we saw, my PH, my cameraman, and my dad thought they were going to go try to get some better video of it. And so I stayed back in the truck, so I was like, I ain't going to be a part of that. That's just my luck. I don't I don't play with snakes like that. And then we saw a mamba kind of just slithering through the bush one day, and they, they haul. They go fast, you know. And then the second mamba we saw, we actually were driving down this little dirt road, and there was a, an antelope in it, which called is an orby. And it was sitting there looking at the ground. It was stomping the ground, and we couldn't figure out what it was doing. It was actually trying to kill a mamba that was trying to attack it, like bite it, and it just kept trying to stomp on it the whole time. It was pretty pretty amazing. That it. Ha, so how fast can mambas actually move, or what have you seen? Uh, I would say there's no way you're gonna outrun one. Wow. Um, they're they're pretty they're pretty fast. Like if they want you, they're gonna get you. And how long are they, Mackenzie? Uh, the one that we saw, they were probably uh, two and a half, three feet. Wow. I mean, they're not little snakes, and I believe they get up to be bigger than that, also. So what do the pHs say like about the mambas if you have an encounter or just shoot them or what do they, you know what do they say? Most of the time, like we would ask them like around like in like in a lot of the camps they call them like little compounds and stuff. They won't they won't kill the snakes unless they're in the compounds and they keep coming back. And still, most of the time they will try to remove them. Uh, if you see a snake, most of the time they just try to walk around it and they don't really come after you like per se, you know. Uh, there's other snakes like puff adders and vipers that you'll walk up on because they're camouflaged and uh, they're not black. You know, they don't shine. 
those those sound like something I want to steer clear of for sure. How yeah, many animals? Uh, how many animals on that first trip there? Where you you were there? What'd you say? Sixty days or something? How many animals did you shoot uh, total? Forty-eight. Forty-eight. Uh, that one, uh, we I ended up shooting the big five, and I shot. Let's see, I shot probably. I'd say ten to twelve uh, plains game species as well. Beautiful. Nice. Um, and so I see you're a bow hunter as well. Um, which do you prefer to hunt with the, with a rifle or a bow or what, you know, is it just you're an opportunist, whatever you, whatever you need to, to use at the time? Uh, I'm an opportunist. Uh, the bow season in Wyoming is the whole month of September. So that gives me 31 days extra to try and make something happen. So my luck with bow hunting sometimes isn't the greatest. So I just try try to capitalize on all the time I can. You're talking uh, about archery elk uh, in Wyoming. Is that what you mean when you say the whole month of September? Yeah, and we can hunt deer in most of the state the whole month of September. So, I mean, when it comes to hunting, as long as I can have the opportunity, whether it's archery or rifle, I'll go out and, you know, do it if I can. How's the bugling um, in the areas that you go there in Wyoming? It's actually pretty good. Uh, The wolves aren't here right where I go. Uh, in the spots my dad used to go and we used to go when I was a kid, you will not hear a single bugle because when an elk bugles, it probably dies a few minutes later because the wolves are so thick. Really? Yeah, it's pretty sad. So so your dad has seen, but you've seen specifically um, areas that he used to take you to and now the there's just hardly any elk there? Yeah, they just, I mean, there's still some elk, but it just, like the, they don't you don't see as many and they're not as vocal, especially in the rut. Because he used to hunt the thoroughfare country, which borders the park a lot, back in back in his days of being out there, you know, thirty days and camping and just living off the land, pretty much. I notice you're into um, mule deer hunting. I guess being from Wyoming, it's pretty hard to not be into mule deer. Um, tell me about your love for mule deer. Uh, I I. I really enjoy hunting mule deer. There's just something about them. Like, they're not like an elk. They don't scream at you when you're in the middle of September, and you can't really call them in, so they're a little bit harder to hunt. Um, I've been lucky and been able to harvest a few good bucks, killed a buck over the counter in Wyoming with my bow a few years ago that was in the 180 class. And just hunting deer is just fun in general. It's it's a challenge, you know. They don't bugle. They're they're just like a great, you know, everyone calls them like kind of like a great ghost, I guess. And, uh it's just challenging and adds a different element to it compared to hunting like an elk. Like, you know, they don't call, they don't bugle. Real glassing intensive kind of spot and stock. Do you like that style of, you know, getting up and looking through your binoculars? Um, I, I, I guess if you hunt Ibex and hunt sheep and stuff, the answer is probably yes, huh? Yeah, I, I really enjoy actually sitting down and glassing. I can, I can sit around all day and just, just watch stuff like, just pick the country apart and see see what I see. Like the big basins up in like some of the high country in Wyoming are just phenomenal for glassing because you can sit there all day and, and glass. And if you don't see nothing, you can pretty much just walk 100 yards to the other side and glass another basin and just pick it apart real well. And my eyesight's not the best, so it takes me a long time compared to some of my buddies to pick some stuff up. But that's why I try to keen in on some of the best glass to help me out. <laughs> what do you use? Uh, I use a Swallow 95. That's what I've been using for the past few years. 
it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. I I can't can't wait to have that BTX too. Try that out. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, Swarovski makes great products. Um, uh, tell me about your Marco Polo here. I'm I'm looking and uh, see a picture of it. That looks like a crazy adventure. Yeah, that was a that was an adventure me and my dad have wanted to do since. Uh, Hell, I think we wanted to do that before I wanted to go to Africa. We've seen it on TV a few times, and we wanted to do it. And then, so in 2014, I graduated from high school, and I had some college money. But uh, I didn't go want to go to college because I didn't want to go to college and just waste it because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I just didn't want to spend the time partying and not wanting to not wanting to put the money to use. So uh, I told my dad, "Let's go on a Marco Polo hunt." So I took that money and booked both of us a Marco Polo hunt, and we went over there. And, had a great time. It was it was fun. It was we camped at thirteen thousand feet. Uh, we both shot our Marco Polos around sixteen thousand. It was a uh, it was pretty fun. I got altitude sickness while I was over there. What did you do to um, mitigate the altitude sickness? I mean, did you get it as soon as you got into camp? And I've had it before, and it's just it's it's horrible. Um, you know, did you find anything that helped you, or or what did you do? Uh, I went with the first day. I shot my sheep in the afternoon. He was on this steep ridge, and when I shot him, he was he was slowly walking, and I was leading him a little. And right as I shot, he stopped, so I hit him far forward, and he ran over the ridge. And we started going halfway up it, and then the guys were like, "Let's turn around because we're not going to make it up there for dark." So we went back to camp, and the next morning uh, we got up a pretty early, got back on the trail, and we did about five miles. Um, and that's not very far, but when you're going from 13,000 feet to 16,000 feet straight up and down, it's it's pretty tough on a guy. And I mean, I didn't feel it that day, but we didn't find the sheep the next day. It was blowing wind on the backside. Blood was covered up. Trash were covered up. It was a pretty miserable day. We got back to camp, had plans to go out and continue the next day for it. Well, I woke up and uh, I didn't even make it to breakfast and I was done. I was throwing up. Uh, it was just a rough day. And so I just stayed in camp for the whole day, and I, t- I take Gatorade pouches everywhere I go, so that way I have some electrolytes, so I just downed a bunch of Gatorade, had some tea, because over there in Asia, that's all you drink is tea pretty much when you're hunting. Uh, they supply with plenty of tea, and I just hung out in bed the whole day. Like, I think I caught it early enough that it wasn't gonna, wasn't really affecting me when I just went and laid down the whole day and threw up everything I had. I think it just you know, worked itself out of me after two days. And then the next day the guides were back out again and they end up finding my sheep. Uh, he was still alive, but he was pretty much frozen and they walked right up on him and were able to bring him back for me. And when they did that, that was, that was probably one of the most emotional feelings I ever had. Cause I thought I just went all the way over to Tajikistan and did 24 hours of a car ride up there to not come home with the sheep. It was pretty, uh, pretty emotional, pretty excited about it. And did your dad get one as well? Yeah, he shot his the first day as well. There's uh, no shortage of sheep over there, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Are they real spooky and real wary? Um, well, it's pretty wide open. Uh, there's no trees. Uh, you just got rolling hills. So when they see you, they'll they'll see you from a long ways away, and they'll run. If you can get a crack, like a like a roll in the hill in between you, or find a stalk on them. But a lot of the time over there, they're driving as close as they can and hopefully go behind a hill, and then you get out and walk because there's between 500 and 1,200 sheep in a group. Wow. Most of the time. 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen some of the left sheet, but, I mean, it was nuts. I got video of between uh, 2,000 and 2,500 sheep in this one valley. It just looks like ants. It's nuts. There's there's sheep everywhere over there. That is incredible. Um, was it gnarly, like, getting in there and, and traveling and what have you? And, um, you know, there's, there's certainly stuff that's unstable going on over there. Did you ever feel, um, you know, uncomfortable in any way? Um, no, I've actually never felt uncomfortable on any of my trips yet. Knock on wood. Uh, it was it was pretty it's pretty weird because you're flying you know into Asian Muslim countries and they pray all the time and if you're not used to it when you know and you went in the town or cities they have big intercoms and the prayer comes out over that and it's kind of spooky sounding but it's actually kind of cool once you start getting used to it. Uh, it took 24 hours to drive from uh, Dushan Bay, which was the place we landed in Tajikistan, to get to the Hot Springs camp. So we had two full days of driving, and we had a stopping point in between where we would stay the night. And on real rough roads or just, just a lot of dirt road driving? Uh, horrible rough roads. Uh, the scariest parts I've ever had while I hunt over there is when you're driving to the hunting areas. Uh, they drive about Mach 9, and they don't care what side of the road they're on. Uh, in Tajikistan, we were driving next to the Afghanistan border, and there was a river about a 1,000 feet below us, and there was no guardrails or nothing. Because, I mean, you're just on a dirt road, and it's the main thoroughfare traffic to and from China where they you know, bring their goods over. So you'll see big semi-trucks and all sorts of stuff. I'm sure it's just crazy over there to see a, a whole different world. Um, I noticed uh, you wear Kuyu uh, quite a bit. I was wondering um, how you like Kuyu gear and what some of your favorite pieces are. Well, that's all I wear. Uh, I'm pretty addicted to it. It's kind of a, a bad habit. Every time <laughs> they come out with something new, I have to buy it, and I feel like a chick. And uh, A lot of people see my closet, and they're like, well, dude, what do you like? Do you have regular clothes? Like, no, not really. No need in having regular clothes. That's right. What what pieces do you like the best? Like, you know, maybe give me some scenarios of why you would wear one pan or over another, or one shirt over another, or what have you. Um, I I really love the guide jacket. It's just kind of an all around jacket. I wear it because I'll wear like the neutral colors, like the gray and the the major brown I'll wear those like just to go out to town or go anywhere just and then it's just it's just a warm jacket and I'll pack it with me no matter where I go I always have a guide jacket with me mm-hmm. and then I kind of I'm now I'm starting to get into the synthetic layers instead of the merino just because of the stuff I when I was listening to your podcast with Jason how he was saying that's all he's about is the synthetic stuff now uh, just because it doesn't, you know, the moisture doesn't stay in it and whatnot. And I've kind of learned that going from, you know, really cold places to really hot places and, you know, hiking a lot with a merino shirt and you start sweating. It always has a, a small odor to it and uh, it always feels damp. So I've kind of went to the synthetic stuff and I've been a big fan of the alpine pants lately for like sheep hunts wise, just because the knee pads they have on them are, they're pretty solid. Uh, I broke my knee riding dirt bikes and I it's like sensitive when I kneel down on it but with those it uh can't feel it feels great when you broke your knee did you um actually have to have surgery and such or you know is it just something you deal with what kind of you know where are you at with it 
Uh, when I broke my knee, I actually ended up breaking 21 bones at the same time. I broke my knee, both my wrists, my left thumb. I had 16 fractures in my face and a third-degree burn on my right leg. Uh, so, yeah, I had to have uh, pin, pins and screws in my knee, and I was in a cast where my leg was completely pointing the opposite direction for six months. So it was, like, real weird when I got out of the cast. I had to learn, like, how to re-walk and straighten my leg out. And I'll catch myself, like, on the treadmill trying to get ready for a hunt. I'll be walking, and my one foot's, like, turned out to the side looking at the person next to me. It's like, they're probably looking at me like I'm retarded or something. <laughs> uh, how many years ago was that? Uh, I did that in 2011, the year after I shot my big five. May 15th, to be exact. <laughs> So we're coming up on the anniversary here. Golly, do you still ride uh, motorcycles, or are you kind of toned back because of what you've seen, what they can do? Yeah, I toned back pretty hard. Uh, I thought it was fine, and I got back on another one. Uh, I got back on one of my buddy's bikes at a race and ended up just trashing his bike because I wrecked it. And then I bought my own bike again. And we have a track up here at our shop that we built when I was you know, racing with my buddies, and then one of my buddies trashed himself, and then a few months later, I trashed myself again. So it was just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to hang it up and stick to, like, the razor and just hiking. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you're still young, so, I mean, you mend like a cat. But, I mean, every year that goes by, the more damage you do to your body, it definitely, uh, you know, you definitely, over time, you can feel every little bump and, and bruise uh, uh, for sure. You know, Going back to the synthetics and the merino wool, um, I'm kind of in your same boat in that I love merino wool. Um, the Kuyu, I, I typically wear those long sleeve Kuyu, um, you know, the ultra ultra merino uh, shirts, and I like the zip tee because oh, I yeah. can get a little bit of sun protection on my neck. Um, and uh, but those, you know, the synthetics are cool also because you know they dry faster. Um, you know, the only thing I would say about the synthetics are you know, you can literally wear one merino shirt, um, on, you know, on a on a long term hunt, uh, and wear the same shirt, and it doesn't actually stink, uh, you know, body odor and that type of stuff. But you know, the synthetics obviously are gonna are gonna smell up more, um, so to speak. Uh, so I, I guess that would be the only downside to the synthetic. Yeah, without a doubt, I totally agree. Like I wore uh, the merino shirts in uh, on my doll sheep hunt last. Uh, last august and i only took two shirts with me and we hunted 14 days and it i mean i didn't smell or at least i i didn't notice that i smelled but i'm pretty sure i didn't like because those merino shirts are awesome but if you did wear the synthetic for that long you'd probably smell yourself pretty heavily for sure um tell me i'm going on my first doll sheep hunt uh in 2018 tell me about your doll sheep hunt last summer where you went and um how that experience was uh, so I went with Lazy J Barrio, the Mike Coplo. They're out of uh, Montana. We went up there and we were hunting really close to Mount Denali, and uh, we hunted. I shot my uh, shot my sheep on September second, which was day day nine, I believe. Yeah, day nine, and uh, it was it was fun. We it was horseback hike type of deal. We'd ride horses, you know, a couple miles from the main camp, spike out. And then we'd hike from there because there's, I mean, you can't really ride a horse to the top of some of those ridges and then tie them up because there's nothing to tie them to and all the sheep would see you. So we'd just, you know, use them to get our camps back in there and then hike from there. 
it was a great hunt. I'd, I'd love to go back again and do it again. We only saw one legal ram the whole entire time, and that was the ram I ended up shooting. You got some great photos of, of the ram uh, here on your Instagram uh, page. Uh, just the country in the background looks amazing. Oh, it was it was incredible. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure I got one of the pictures on there where you can see some glaciers back up behind us, and that's where our original plan was going to be was to go back into those glaciers. And they took us one of the uh, kid that hadn't got his guide's license yet, but was doing this 30 day uh, trial run up there. He uh, took us back on horses, dropped us off. And we were just setting up spike camp to hang out for the night and plan on how far we were going to hike back in there. And I took my little two-man uh, mountain star with me. And luckily, while he was reading a book, I looked right above camp, and I spotted these two sheep. And I was like, oh, it's just probably you and the lamb, knowing my luck. And he looked at him and was like, oh, man, that one looks good. And then we got real excited, and then we spent the rest of the night kind of going up and down the creek, riverbed, looking, getting different angles. And then we decided it was the ram that we'd go after the next day and we had to put a pretty gruesome stock on him up some pretty nasty stuff that I was, I was actually, I'm pretty worried. Like I was hoping we wouldn't have to go back down. And so was the guide. He's like, we're not going back down that way. We'll find a different way out. Cause we had to get around and above the sheep to get on him. And we ended up popping up 225 yards from him and shot him in his bed and he didn't even wiggle. He's a beautiful Ram. Uh, what boots did you wear on that hunt? Um, I'm rocking the Scarpa, uh, the grand, not the grand, uh, I'm trying to think of what they are. I just had a, the grand not, drew. The, yeah, the grand drew ones. The, the ones that, re, most recent ones that Kuyu's selling. Um, that's the ones I rocked on that. All I'm rocking now is the, the Kuyu uh, Scarpa boots is all I'm doing is the ones that Kuyu sell because everything I buy comes from Kuyu. <laughs> nice. How are you finding the performance in the steep country? Um, you know, Jason's real high on those boots as far as being able to track you know, side hill and, and real technical climbing, um, what would your experience be with those boots? Um, I actually had the Sharmas on when I shot my sheep, the Sharma Pro GTX, but I have the Grand Drews too, and I took both those boots. Um, I actually have a preference for the Sharmas, the, or the, how you say it, Sharmas, I'm bad mm -hmm. at saying stuff, but I have a preference for Lowe's over the, the Grand. Um, the grand ones are, you know, I wear those more when it's colder out because it's not, they're not breathable, I think. And they're a little bit higher feeling to me. And, uh, I don't know, the stiff boot is probably the way to go for mountain hunting just because you don't get a lot of play in your ankles. Um, stiff boots aren't fun to walk on flat ground with as much, but when you do a lot of like mountain climbing, even like, even in Wyoming hunting, elk and deer you're climbing some pretty steep stuff and you know across other parts of the united states you're, you're not just hunting sheep when you're climbing steep stuff all the time so they're kind of a, a good all-around boot and i'm really looking forward to what they're coming out with this year yeah i've seen those new prototype boots and i'm i'm, I'm excited about those as well uh brendan had a pair of them on at one of the shows and um yeah, that that that's definitely high on my list of of things to check out here as soon as they come out. So that that's going to be pretty cool. Um, are, with the injury you had on your motorcycle accident, um, have you noticed at all, uh, you know, side to side or you know problems with your knee, you know, descending or or you know going downhill, or how have you rebounded? Um, like. At the gym, when I leave the gym, my knee is always sore, like when I do legs and uh, or when I run on the treadmill for a long time. But in the mountains, it's 
it's usually not like bad until like the next day like the day i shot my sheep we uh we started heading back to camp and our camp was two miles it wasn't that far really and it was all downhill we left at nine o'clock from where the sheep was we didn't get back to a camp till uh, just about one o'clock in the morning because we ended up getting into some real stick nasty stuff in the dark uh and it was just downhill and it was with the sheep i had i had the horns in the cape and then the my day my day gear my water and all that and then uh my guide had the meat on him and after that it was pretty uh it was pretty rough. It was my knee was pretty sore. Uh, it wasn't bad. Like I could still walk on it. I could just feel it though every time I walked. But I notice every year that I. I mean, I'm still young, but every year that I that it gets past when I wrecked, it's a little more sensitive to things like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of these days you'll probably have to, you know, as time goes on, you'll probably have to deal with it either by surgery or replacement. But I mean, that yeah. that that's part of part of life too. You know, you you've got to live it you know, and, and obviously you do. Um, tell me about, I don't see her on your Instagram page, but have you shot a stone sheep? Nope. I got a stone sheep booked for this August. Actually. Oh, cool. Tell me, um, tell me about it. Where are you going? Um, I'm going with a good buddy of mine, Nathan Olmstead of Prophet Musqua. Uh-huh. I'm going to go up there. Uh, I believe I get there the 9th of August and we hunt till the 21st. Um, August is pretty packed for me with that stone sheep hunt being right in the middle of it. So I'm really looking forward to it. And that's the last for my grand slam. So fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, um, tell me about, you know, you, you just told me about your stone sheep hunt. What else do you have, um, on the books, uh, say for this hunting season coming up? Um, well, I got New Zealand next month where I'm going to go do some video and, and help my buddy out if he needs some guidance and do a little hunting myself for a couple of weeks in New Zealand, probably three weeks, I think. I leave May 23rd and get back June 9th. And then the end of July, start of August, me and Mark Peterson were actually going to Azerbaijan to hunt Dagestan Tur. And I get home on the 7th, and I have to be in B.C. on the 9th for the Stone Sheep. So it's back to back there, and then as soon as when I get home from hunting my stone, I got a week, and then me and Mark are heading back to Quebec to hunt our Quebec Labrador Caribou, and uh, since that's about to close, unfortunately, we uh, jumped on board for that, and then after that, I just got my Wyoming General elk and deer. Uh, I doubt I'll draw any of the like the sheep tags or moose tags just because I don't got enough points, but. Uh, and then after that, I guide for a couple weeks in October and then just go back to filling what general tags I haven't filled yet. What are you guiding for in October? Uh, I guide for a place in uh, kind of like central eastern Wyoming, uh, Four Horse Outfitters. Uh, we do uh, antelope, mule deer, and whitetail hunts. Nice. How is that? Um, it's, a, it's a fun hunt. It's a, Like last year, I was, we got attacked. I talked them into it, and we did a giveaway and uh, it was actually kind of hard to find a kid to give a hunt away to in Evanston here because everyone does sports, and so you can't even miss miss a weekend, really. But uh, I actually got my neighbor kid who only shot a two-point mule deer, and I talked to his dad, and he let us take him up there, and he came up and shot a whitetail with us for a youth giveaway hunt. And it's just a, it's a great hunt for first-time people. Uh, plenty of game, tons and tons of deer, tons of antelope, and uh, it's just a, a great experience. 
we hunt around 3,000 acres between deeded and leased land, so there's plenty of property up there for us to roam around. Nice. You know, I hear you talking about all these trips and all these hunts that you're going on, and I, I just can't help but ask, uh, you know, I, I'm curious if you uh, run into any girls that are uh, uh, sympathetic to uh, your hunts and uh, or is being an active kid your age and traveling all over hard to, on your dating life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty rough. I, I don't know. To me, I I rather just hunt. Uh, <laughs> you, I've had a, you're a, a smart I've kid. <laughs> I've had a chick I've talked to for several years, but uh, I'm not gonna get married quite yet. Unless <laughs> there's one that that can afford to me out with some hunts then i'll then i'll, then I'll question it but <laughs> no nah, i think i'm just gonna I think i'm just gonna hang out for a while and take it easy and kind of hold off do some more hunting maybe good. finish a couple slams or something before then <laughs> good man good man yeah I, I had to ask though i i know oh, yeah. um it's you know you'll find the right one someday but you're in no hurry and no rush and i don't think you should be with all the great stuff that you got going on uh Tell me about, uh, I'm looking here and I'm seeing uh, photos of uh, some big mule deer. Where Are most of these shot in Wyoming or are they shot in, you know, all over? What, what do you, you know, where are you, where are you going? Where do you hunt? Um, a lot of the bucks that we're hunting now are in, in Wyoming. Like that place I got it for uh, 2015, uh, my dad, we... I was up there and I was I helped guide him. We killed a buck that went right at 200 up there for him. That's his biggest mule deer. Um, I, I shot a pretty good deer on the Pontagon with a moss back a few years ago, and then a couple of my good bucks came from uh, just this northern part of Utah uh, on Deseret Land and Livestock, which is legitimately a mile from my house. We used to have a lease program out there. Um, they're Utah deer, but it's right in my backyard, so it's kind of catch 22 whether i want to call it utah or wyoming in a way you know I mean, legally it's utah but it's my backyard so they're right here sure uh i see that you have a, a canon 1 to 400 um is2 i have that same um lens um what can you tell me about it do you still have it and and is that your go-to lens for some of your long-range shots um actually i just upgraded well it was last november i upgraded to the two to four hundred uh canon lens is uh, i think two or whatever yeah um that's my go-to for long range i i'm Tell kind me of the saving difference. up some um it's, or what are you uh, that one comes with the built that one comes in with the built-in extender the 1.4 okay um and i have I have the 1.4 externally for the 1 to 200 or 1 to 400, whatever that one first one was. Yeah. Um, I have it for that, but that bigger lens, it's obviously heavier, and it's not one you're just going to go pack around without a tripod. Right. But it's just that extra that extra depth of view is just it, it's killer. Like, I just started a photography page on Instagram just to kind of share my photos because couple of my buddies that do real good uh, Africa photography, like Mike, uh, Mike Phil Safaris, mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't post any of his hunting stuff on there just because the people that are going to look at his photos are the people that are probably going to be real harsh towards him about hunting. So he just doesn't want to deal with that flack because he wants to share his photography. And so I just started a separate one for that same reason. 
it's just it's just barely started, but I'm gonna start posting some uh, pretty pretty cool pictures. There was a there's a pretty cool buck in Wyoming this year that there's quite a few photos out there, but I was able to spend three hours with the buck uh, within 45 yards and filled up uh, three SD cards on him. So I'm ready. I'm ready to share those. I've been holding back for a while. So that's awesome. Do you do you shoot? Um... When you're in situations like that, do you also shoot video out of that setup, or are you mainly shooting all still shots? Um, I shoot a little video. I actually just bought a, a Sony AS7 to start shooting video and, with that. Awesome. Uh, just the, it's just a little bit better, and also it shoots 4K. Uh, but then I also, when I when I was in that situation with that deer, I had a, another camera. I had my Canon uh, AX30 set up and was videoing him also with that, just the camcorder. Awesome. Did they, that buck end up getting shot? No, he's still alive. It was uh, January 3rd, the day that I found him and was able to to video him and take some photos of him. Uh, it's probably, probably going to be the biggest deer I ever see in my life. Hopefully not, but more than likely it will be up there in the top two, without a doubt. What's What are some of the biggest elk you've shot, Mackenzie? Um, I shot a 380 bull on the Levant in 2010 with Mossback. Uh, that's the biggest bull I've uh, shot that uh, has been free range. We actually were going to buy a high fence place uh, until we found out they were in debt, and they let us shoot some bulls over 400. But I don't ever post anything about those just because, you know, it's just yeah. I don't really care about it. It's not something I want people to – I don't share. But obviously I'm going to share it on the podcast. I don't really care. Um, yeah. But I shot a 380 bull, um, and then after that, it's been downhill. Uh, I shot a 340 bull with my bow a few years ago on public land in Wyoming by myself. Well, my mom and my my chick at the time, my chick that I talked to, she was with us too. So, and they helped me out on it. And that's the that's probably the most like accomplishing bull I've ever I've ever harvested per se, because I spent so much time watching him and. And then, you know, opening day, I was able to get on him, and then I ended up hitting him at 10 yards, and then I couldn't see any blood. He was standing out there 70 yards, just had fluids run out of his mouth, but it wasn't blood. It was just clear fluids, and I launched another one, and I hit him back, and then he ran 150 yards and was just standing up on this hill, and it got dark, so I backed out, and the next day I went back, and I glassed him up 10 yards from where I left him piled up. Oh, wow, good. You know, sometimes yeah. it's, it, you know, depending on where you're hunting, sometimes a 300 bull is, a, you know, a huge trophy. Sometimes just being a six point, you know, depending on where oh. you're at, you know. So, I I mean, I think the trophy hunting thing, I, I'm curious your opinion on it. But, you know, it's it's great to to want to, you know, harvest older, mature animals and what have you. Um, but sometimes you have to realize that the areas that you're hunting maybe just don't have, you know, say 200-inch bucks or 400-inch bulls. Uh, I was just curious if if your love for hunting is still so much that it's more about, you know, just going and enjoying, you know, f- taking each place for what it is and not, like, comparing it to, oh, this country or or this province or this place and, and then just say, you know, in this in this area, that's a heck of an animal. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Like, to me, trophy hunting, it's there's two ways to look at it. Like, in a way, trophy hunting is, like, a really good management tool because it's not always you're looking for the, like, the 200-inch deer or the 400-inch bull. Trophy hunting, to me, is the age class of an animal. You know, is it a 
is an eight-year-old deer. I mean, obviously in Wyoming, they really usually don't get that old just because of the harsh winters. But, I mean, you're looking for that higher-end class of the bucks that you're going to be hunting in that particular unit, whether it's a, a five-year-old, six-year-old giant Like if it's a five, six-year-old giant two-point that's just considered a management deer, but I'll harvest that over, you know, just that four-year-old 180-inch deer, you know, that's going to be something in a year or two. Trophy hunting is more of like the adventure to me. It's not really based on inches. I, you know, I've killed some good stuff in my life, and it's just, you know, some of that stuff I don't know if I'll ever beat. So it's just, you know, I go out there and have fun. And just like last year I was hunting a bull in Wyoming that was probably – 360 had a big double third on the one side he was living in some just nasty burn country i was hunting him at 10,000 feet it was just it was nuts like everyone's like oh the mystical 10,000 feet like this was legitimately 10,000 10, feet um i had a mountain lion in a tree next to me one morning trying to get on him like it was just this hunt was just just going crazy i only had a few days to hunt well i ended up calling in this 290 300 at six point and i I derfed it on that one. I got so excited I couldn't draw my bow back, and it was just – it was crazy. I missed and hit a tree. I posted that picture on Instagram too. <laughs> I, even, I even marked the trail that I was on as Arrow Tree Trail, so I always <laughs> know where my arrow is because I couldn't get it out of the tree. <laughs> That's great. Is that the same trip where you had – I just saw a recent video where you had a mountain lion encounter. Yeah, that was the exact same one. Uh, that was my first, like, real close mountain lion encounter. I was – it was so foggy. I just stopped and there was only two live trees on the whole hill. And I sat under the one on the left and I kept hearing this popping sound. And I was like, what is that? And I was like, hell, maybe some elk are coming in. And I just happened to turn and look through my binoculars. And I was just, I don't know why, but I looked in the tree right next to me and I just, this mountain lion face was staring at me and I just like, oh, this is not good. I was sitting down in a real, you know, vulnerable position. So I just, I dropped and I, I carry a pistol in my backpack when I'm bow hunting. So I kind of went to grabbing that and uh he bailed out of the tree and went the other way fortunately so but it was it was a i just got up and ran straight up the mountain after that like <laughs> i was not tired anymore i got up there and out of the way <laughs> oh that's a good story um looks like you just kind of dropped your um uh pakistan uh hunts on your youtube channel uh tell me about pakistan pakistan is uh is a great place i out of like all the Asia Europe countries I've been to, that is the best one that I've ever been to. Lovely place. The people are super friendly. I really enjoyed it. I'm definitely going to go back there. Uh, maybe not within a few months just because of all the stuff that's happened since I've been back, but I'm going to go back. What did you hunt there? Uh, we hunted Sindibex, Blanford Uriel, and Punjab Uriel while I was over there. That's fantastic. Um, and looks like some pretty gnarly country there as well. Yeah, it's totally, I don't know. We, I watched a bunch of videos from Pakistan and the stuff that we were going to hunt, it didn't look like it was that rough a country. But when we got over there, it was like, wow, this stuff is actually pretty, pretty rough. And it was humid and like 85 degrees the first day. And it was just like, Oh, I'm from Wyoming. I don't see 85 degrees maybe twice a year. Like, <laughs> come on now. This is, this is a struggle. <laughs> it looks like you were successful, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely not a hard hunt. Um, and to be honest, like, every international sheep hunt is more than likely not going to be a tough one compared to the, 
the North American sheep. Like, the North American sheep, it's pretty easy to get to where they're at, per se. Like, I mean, you might have to go on a six or seven, eight-hour horseback ride, but you can usually get there within a day or two. Just to get to some of those places like Pakistan and Tajikistan, it takes, like, four days just to get there. And after that, the hunting's easier, you know, because you've already, like, endured that challenge of flying, driving, going through border checkpoints. That's, like, the hunt itself is those travel days on those ones, like, it's pretty crazy. Like you fly, you lose a day. It's just, you run out of a lot of time. And just, I don't know, you feel, I don't know, just the adventure part of it's just breathtaking over there on those type of hunts compared to like, you know, oh, we're going to drive a couple hours here in Wyoming to go hunt a Rocky Mountain. But then we're going to, then the adventure starts at the trailhead, you know, with sure. the backpack in 12 miles, carry our food and water. That's the whole part of the adventure on those type of hunts, you know. Do you feel like when, when you're overseas, you know, you, you go through the checkpoints and they're like, well, where's the hunter? And you're like, it's me. And they're like, no, like where, where's the hunter? And you're like, it's me. And they're thinking you're just a kid. Do you get some of that? Um, I actually haven't quite got that that much overseas. Funny thing is the place that I guide for, uh, I had really long hair in 2015. I just didn't really care and never cut it. Um, it was clean, but I just never cut it. And I had some guys <laughs> that thought I was, thought I was just some hippie kid from California that uh, I wasn't a guy. They just thought I was like a son or some ranch man. And I was just like, oh. yeah, they just thought I was some punk kid. And, and then a place that we were hunting on, I actually, uh, some people thought I wasn't even there to hunt in, in North America. Uh, usually when you go overseas, uh, a lot of the times those people, when you say you're there to hunt, they're like, okay, he's here to hunt. You know, like they know you mean business just because it's, Hunting to them is a bigger deal than to most people in the United States. I think like it's more of a important to them. It's kind of it's more of a way of life to them because that that's probably their only job compared to guys in the United States where most guys that own big successful outfitting businesses they that's probably their only job. But they also could fall back on the second job if need be. Over there, that's probably their one shot deal. For sure, yeah, totally understandable. So. Your next adventure is New Zealand. Um, are you going to the North Island or the South Island? Uh, we're going to the South Island. I'm going to be hunting with uh, my buddy Wyatt McBride of Spade Creek Trophy Hunting. Cool. And um, have you, when you've been over there before, have you gotten to do any of the fishing? I, I was fortunate uh, back, well, it's been quite a while now, but uh, did uh, two weeks of fishing on the South Island. And I, I'm a huge fisherman and love brown trout specifically and it was amazing did you get any fishing in while you were there <clears throat> no I, I i actually didn't do any fishing i kind of now i kind of want to in a way but for me it if it came up between catching a fish in a barrel <laughs> i probably couldn't even do that because my fishing skills are very low uh the place that we had leased over here at least on that desert atlanta livestock they actually have uh stocked fishing ponds where you can fly fish mm-hmm I would have a better chance catching one in a net than I would on a fly pole. And those things are stocked <laughs> for the nines. Like me and fishing just don't get along. I like, I like want to do it, but I just, it's just so aggravating. Cause I don't like, I don't know if it's just cause I don't got the patience for it or if it's just like, all right, just stick to hunting. Don't, don't fish. Just, just hang out. <laughs> I get it. I mean, it's one of those things you're either into it or you're not. And it's, you know, a good thing you're a good hunter because you can eat. Because if you if you uh, weren't a good hunter, then it sounds like if you're not a good fisherman, you wouldn't be able to eat very much. Nah, if I was a, if I was, <laughs> that's the only thing I could do. I'd be pretty, 
pretty SOL on that deal. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm a great hunter either. I just think I get lucky quite a bit too. I mean, I put the work in, but then luck's a big part of everything too. So I've just, I'm kind of right in the middle of my turkey seasons here and I leave for my Gould's turkey hunts here in a few days, um, spend three weeks down there. Looks like you've harvested a few turkeys. Have you truly gotten the turkey bug or, or is it just one of those things that you'll do to wait for your big game hunting? No, I actually, we just went, me and my buddy went on a turkey hunt this last weekend and it was his first time turkey hunting. We were unsuccessful. He could have shot one at 10 yards that I called in. Uh, we didn't have that many birds located or anything, but turkey hunting is a blast, especially, you know, it's like elk hunting, but they just come in, they're just gobbling their heads off. And it's when they get to fighting in front of you, it's, it's pretty wicked. Uh, we did some turkey hunting in Texas, and that's where we've seen quite a bit of like the fighting stuff. Like the Merriams, they don't, you know, they don't, like the Merriams in Wyoming, at least, their spurs aren't very long because they're in the rocks and all this stuff. And it's, I mean, they're still fun, but. I, like I've heard the Easterns, I'm actually going to hunt Easterns in Michigan with uh, Dan Catlin the 6th of uh, May. So I'm going to go give that a run down there. But uh, I heard those birds are a little smarter than these Merriams back here and a little more hunted. So I'm going to go give that a try. I wouldn't sound the best turkey caller in the world. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be watching for your success on that. And um, I haven't gotten an Eastern yet either. But um from everybody that's hunted with me, they say, yeah, Easterns and Osceolas, both, are, you know, in Florida, they're Osceolas, they're both pretty tough and, and pretty wary. And um, we definitely are, are I would say, blessed and spoiled in, in, in both regards in, with, you know, Merriam's uh, and then, you know, with the Goulds. Um, you know, Merriam's are really fun, user-friendly, you know, they like to gobble quite a bit. Um, and then the Goulds, in my opinion, are, are even more, um, they're very callable. They love to strut and, um, they're just a really neat bird. And, and a lot of hunters that come and hunt with me, you know, from back East, they're so used to, if you get an opportunity to shoot a bird, you kill them right away. And I have to coach them and coach them, like, let them come to the decoys, let them do their thing. And, <laughs> Calm down know, a little. Yeah. Well, they just, I mean, they're like, if I see a red head, I'm going to shoot it. You know, it's like, no, just, you know, let it, let it, <laughs> let it all happen. But uh, it's fun stuff. Well, I'm anxious to see uh, how you do on that. And um, it's been great having you on the podcast. Uh, I want to give you a chance to um, tell the listeners uh, where uh, they can connect with you. Uh, and, uh, you know, your website, why don't you go ahead and give us, uh, all of your, all of your outlets. Um, all right. So right now, uh, it's way of life Productions, and that's what it is on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Uh, for the month of, uh, April, we're doing a big spring sale and whatnot on there. And then, uh, my personal Instagram is just mcmsims96 on Instagram. But, uh, for all your, for all your followers, we'd like to go and do a, a discount code uh, for all your followers and listeners to come to the website and uh, be able to get a discount on all of our products. And we would like to call it, uh, let's just say Scott Outdoors 20 for a 20% discount. Great. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate that. And I know the listeners will too. Um, so are we going to call that Scott Outdoors or are we going to call it J Scott Outdoors? Um, have you said we'll it? Call it we'll, call it, we'll call it J Scott Outdoors 20. So that way it's you know, Jay Scott doors and then the 20 for the 20% off. Perfect. Well, that's fantastic. I appreciate you doing that. You didn't have to do that. Yeah, no and problem. I, I appreciate that. And I'll be uh, watching your success on Instagram and, and, um, 
continuing to watch those YouTube uh, videos, and I just appreciate you uh, spending time. And it's so great to talk to a young man like yourself that's so passionate about hunting. And um, you know, it's it's for me, it's just so rewarding to hear the the excitement in your voice about all the different hunts. Uh, you know, it didn't seem like I I asked you about a single thing that you were like, eh. You you know, you're passionate about all of it, and it that's that's just awesome to see. Um, so I, I wish you the best of success and uh, look forward to catching up with you down the road and um, we'll have to do this again and get an update on, on how you're doing. So um, yeah, until next time, buddy, God bless. And uh, I'm going to be in Wyoming this fall some, so um, we'll have to hook up. I'm going to be in Jackson, Wyoming, so um, we'll have to, we'll have to hook up. For sure. Yeah, that's not too far from, uh, from big deer country, so I'll be up there. Uh, we'll have to meet up and do some more stuff like this also and talk face-to-face and meet in person and probably go on a hunt one of these days. Sounds great, buddy. You take care, okay? Yep, CJ. Thanks. Uh, Appreciate it. Bye.